Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. Donald Trump to the rescue. Only he can fix it. Well, welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, Johnny Perfita, the voice and soul of so-called fiction. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. Mine was pretty good. Mine was pretty good. I'm enjoying my Monday off, thanks to Christopher Columbus and all the wonderful things that he's done. Yeah, had a had a pretty good weekend. I had a flag football game on Saturday morning. And then I spent the day watching some college football, having a few cocktails, so that's always fun. And then Sunday, watched some more football. (laughs) I couldn't go out. I couldn't go out. The the city was basically on lockdown because we had the annual Chicago Marathon. Oh my God. Marathon runners. Is there anyone more unbearable? Than, a mar- than somebody who runs marathons. They're, they're, well, I guess vegans. Probably goes vegans and then people who run marathons and CrossFit. And people who do CrossFit. They're the next rung on the ladder after vegans. Just won't shut up about how proud they are of themselves. That they're training for a marathon or that they're going to run the marathon. A big deal. Big deal. Congratulations. You can run really, really slowly for a long period of time. They're such narcissists. They're, it's unbelievably narcissistic to think that you walking or jogging really slowly for six or seven hours warrants shutting down an entire city, inconveniencing thousands of people, stealing their Sunday from them. So that what you can feel good about yourself, so that you can brag to people that you ran a marathon. Half these people don't even run it; they walk it at a leisurely pace. It's unbelievable to me that 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 people get off on this sort of thing and they try to make it like they're somehow like they're so so much better than the rest of us. When really, if it was just about feeling good about yourself, you wouldn't need all the fanfare. You wouldn't need to have people cheering you on, news coverage. You wouldn't need to be the lead story or have to shut down the city and have everybody be like, oh, look at me, look at me, I'm running a marathon. If it was really just about you and feeling good about yourself and you're not a narcissist, then you would just do it. You would just wake up one Saturday morning, bright and early, and go run around in a circle. Run around in a circle until you get to 26.2 miles. Oh, oh yeah, you're not interested in that. You're not interested in that. You want to be able to tell everybody that you ran a marathon and you want to force everybody to watch you and come out and, and you have to beg your friends to come out and watch you do this and cheer you on. Like anybody really wants to do that. Like anybody wants to go stand on a corner and wait for two hours until you run by and hand you a cup of water or some stupid shit. You need the constant attention and the big news coverage so that you can let everybody know that you accomplished this great feat. This great feat that apparently thousands of other people can do as well. Uh, that's the other. Uh, how, how challenging is it to run a marathon if uh, thousands of people can do it? Uh, every year, it's more and more people are doing it. The, the, I saw the news coverage of it yesterday. It was a record turnout for, for marathon runners. I mean, h- how hard can this really be? 
I, you don't even need legs to do it. I've seen amputees do this thing. An old, I've seen like a 70-year-old man do it. Like, okay, congratulations. That's a real big accomplishment. You can do something that basically anybody in the world can do. <laughs> and that's what you're so proud of. Yeah, I can, uh, I can walk and jog for really long periods of time. All right. All right. If that makes you feel better about yourself. And then, of course, you have to post about it on social media to get that big pat on the back and all the likes and thumbs up. And, oh, you're so great. I wish I had the determination and the discipline to do that. Maybe someday. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I, I hope that makes you feel better about yourself. Meanwhile, you've ruined everybody else's weekend. Everybody who doesn't need constant reassurance that they're that they're doing something productive with their life, that they've accomplished things. Anybody who has like a shred of athletic ability that can do other things, that th- they're the extent of their athleticism isn't just moving their legs really slowly for six hours. Anybody else, their weekend's ruined. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, you narcissist. Now if you can just shut up for at least a year. I don't want to hear anybody talk about training for the marathon. It's the first thing they bring up. Oh, I'm training for a marathon. I'm going to run the marathon. That's great. I don't care. I'm not impressed. Not impressed by your ability to jog really slowly. In fact, I guarantee you that without any training, I have a faster mile time than you. I have a faster mile time. Guaranteed. I'll run fucking circles around you without training for five minutes. Could I do it for 26.2 miles? No. Not unless I I practiced for a while and built up my endurance. But I have more important things to do. I have more important things to do with my life. And even if I didn't, and I wanted to prove to myself, as everyone claims, that I could do it, that I could run a marathon, I would just do it. I wouldn't need all the fanfare. I wouldn't shut down half the city because I don't feel entitled to do that. I don't feel like me proving something to myself warrants inconveniencing thousands of other people so that I can prove something to myself. I would just do it on my own time. I mean, I've honestly never seen anybody generate so much much unearned self-worth from such a a minuscule accomplishment. I mean, think about what you're actually doing. You're, You're just walking or running around in a circle. And that, that gives you this huge sense of accomplishment. Why don't you do something actually meaningful with your life? How about that? The other thing that really bothers me about marathon runners is that I guarantee you, if I took a poll, 90% of them probably don't know anything about why, uh, anything about marathons, like why it's called a marathon, that, like why it's 26.2 miles. Why, why we run marathon. Like, they don't know the history of it at all. They probably just assume that it's this arbitrary thing that a person came up with that would be a difficult thing to do. You, you would think that if you're going you're gonna to spend your entire year training for something, maybe figure out the history behind it and, and why, why, we, why we do it, why it's a thing. But they they're probably have, have no idea, not interested in it. Always amazed. That's a great sign of a lemming is um, they do something, you know, it, it, they do something a lot. Like every day they do something and they don't know why they're doing it. Yeah. They, they never really think about why this thing is the way it is, why they do it. Or they'll hear something, they'll hear a word over and over and over again. And they don't know what it means, but they'll never look it up. They'll never look into it at all. They're just not interested in it for some reason. It, it's a funny story. I would always joke um, with my, my employees that they're, I would always call them lemmings, you know, in a joking sort of way. And I did this for years. There are, every time like the opportunity presented itself to make a joke about lemmings at their expense, I, of course, would, would indulge in it. And um, I was on vacation one year. And my boss, you know, he's in the room talking to my employees or whatever. And the topic of lemmings comes up and he goes, you know why he calls you lemmings, right? You know what a lemming is? And none of them had any idea. None of them had any idea. It was the most lemming thing imaginable and the ultimate justification for my, for my jokes. 
He goes, I, I, they've, been, they've been being called lemmings for two, three, four years. Never once did it dawn on them to look up why I'm calling them a lemming. Unbelievable. But nobody I've ever talked to who's bragging about running a marathon, nobody I've ever talked to, because I always bring this up. I'm like, do you know, you, you know the history behind marathons? And none of them ever know. You you would think that if you spend an entire year training for something and then you dedicate your weekend to doing it, that you would look into it a little like, huh, I wonder why they call it a marathon. Hmm. I wonder why it's 26.2 miles. I hope that's the right distance. Is that what it is? Hang on. Now I got to look this up. This is what lemmings don't do. They don't look things up. 26.22 miles. See, I know that. And I don't even run marathons. You know what else I know? I know why it's called a marathon, and I know the history behind it. You see, marathon is is a place in Greece. In in ancient Greece, there was a, a battle of marathon. Okay, the Persians were invading Greece. the The first time the Persians attempted to invade Greece was through marathon. All right, and and there was a hastily assembled force of of Greek soldiers who were heavily outnumbered by the Persians, and they managed to repel the attack, okay? So there was this great victory in Marathon. And so what they needed to do was let Athens know that they won the battle. And of course, they don't have cell phones back then. They can't communicate radio or anything like that, okay? So they have to send a runner, all right? They have to send a guy to run from Marathon to Athens to deliver the news of victory. And the distance from Marathon to Athens is 26.2 miles. Okay? That's why we run a marathon, to commemorate that. Because that's what that guy did. I forget his name. Super, picture the most Greek name you can imagine. Something Opolis, probably. Um, oh, and the other thing. Here's another little fun fact for all you marathon runners out there who could who need to brush up on your history. When he gets to Athens, you know, he's delivering the message of victory. The Greek word for victory is Niki. Niki. So he's running through the streets. Niki. Niki. We had victory. Victory in marathon, right? Niki, N-I-K-I, sounds a lot like Nike, doesn't it? N-I-K-E. Nike got their name, the name of their company, from the Greek word Niki, meaning victory. So, I don't know. There you go. There's some uh, some fun facts for all you people. Now, at least, if you're one of these lemmings that insists on running a marathon and being all blowhardy about it, at least now you know why you're doing it. And you can pretend like you're not the lemming that you actually are. So, anyway... That's enough of that. Let's, it's about time we get into the show. <laughs> I didn't expect to um, complain about marathons for the first 10, 15 minutes, but what I have planned for today's show I think will be very interesting. It's a topic that I find fascinating, and that is this idea of what's been termed woke capitalism. And well, let me back up for a little bit because um, I guess the catalyst for this episode was the whole controversy. You may have heard about this in the news, the NBA and China and Hong Kong and and all of this craziness that's going on with with that whole ordeal. But let me back up because it reminded me of a story from a couple months ago about this China social credit score system that they have over there, that they've been developing for the last couple of years. It, it, it's starting to graduate from its infancy and turn into quite the monster. And this is this system where the government is using a, a score-based system on your, on your day-to-day behavior to determine how good of a citizen you are and whether or not they're going to let you function as you see fit in today's society. This is a nationwide surveillance system that uses facial recognition and your cell phone and your social media activity to, to basically force you to fall in line with the regime, 
with what the regime deems acceptable behavior. It's kind of like a credit score that we have here, except that it's far more subjective and open to abuse. It's subject to the whims of whoever is in power. And, you know, they have these stated offenses, right? If you're in violation, at least at the moment, include things like membership in a support or, or support for the, uh, the Falun Gong or the Tibetan Buddhism um, ideology. If you subscribe to that, um, that's an offense. Failure to pay debts, excessive video gaming, criticizing the government, if you're late with any payments, you know, things like if you have a business and you fail to sweep the sidewalk in front of your store or your house, that's a violation. You'll lose points for that. Smoking or playing loud music on trains, jaywalking, any other actions deemed illegal or unacceptable by the Chinese government, these all go against your social credit score. Okay? And the punishments for this can be fairly harsh. Fairly harsh. You know, they, they can ban you from leaving the country, from using public transportation, checking into hotels, hi, hiring for, uh, you know, high visibility jobs. They won't let you have a high profile job if you have a, a really low social credit score or, you know, even acceptance of your children into private schools. Um, it, it can also result in, you know, they can throttle your internet connections. You'll get slower internet or you'll just be, you know, a social, a social outcast. If anybody's seen that Seinfeld episode where Elaine is trying to order that flounder from the Chinese restaurant or whatever it is, and she's outside the delivery zone, Hop Sings, that's the name of the place. And, and she keeps trying to come up with all these schemes uh, to get it delivered to friends' houses, or, and she moves into, like, the janitor's closet in the building across the street so that she's in the delivery zone. And she's got that boyfriend, and she lies about the, the address or whatever, and she gets him blacklisted at Hop Sings. Well, that's the same kind of thing that, that happens here in China. So the government takes all this data, compiles it, gives you a score, and then puts you on a list. All right? Now, anytime a government, your government, is making lists, that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. I don't know if anybody, speaking of TV shows, has seen the show Black Mirror, which is kind of like a, a modern-day Twilight Zone. They do all, all sorts of um, different different types of episodes. None of them are really related, but they're, they all take place in like this dystopian alternate universe, and they have one episode. This was a couple of years ago they came out with this. I, I think... Maybe when this whole China social credit score system was in its infancy. And there's this girl and, you know, she has a really nice social credit score. And every interaction throughout her day, um, she, she's trying to get to a wedding. And it, it's just one of those days where everything goes wrong and she keeps having these interactions with people. And every interaction is a chance to give you a social credit score to grade you. You know, like when you get out of a lift and you can give the guy five stars, you can give him one star and you can comment like she just keeps having these horrible interactions with people and they keep dinging her and dinging her and her social credit score plummets. And then she can't get on the airplane and she has to rent a car to drive to the wedding, but she can't rent a good car because her score is too low and, and just it, it turns out to be a disaster. This is kind of where we are headed with this. And, you know, the government then can take those lists and they share these lists and the data with technology platforms. It's basically a way around the legal system. You're no longer innocent until proven guilty. You can't plead your case to anyone. Your score is what it is, and you suffer the consequences. It doesn't matter if you just ran into somebody who gives you a, a bad score because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, and this way, by skirt-tailing the, the, the legal system, the government can now inflict punishment upon you via private companies 
by using this score. And they can make it illegal for the company to do business with you if your score is like below 75% or whatever it is. I forget. I don't know how the, the scoring system works. But they can essentially be like, uh, you know, they can go to, you know, the Google and they can say, listen, you know, uh, John's social score is below the threshold to to garner your services. And if you provide Google services to John, well, then you're in violation of, you know, the Social Credit Score Act and what we're going to fine you a billion dollars or something like that. Not only do I find that absolutely horrifying, but I think it, it basically turns the American idea of the role of government completely on its head. It's the exact opposite theory of the role of government that the United States was founded on, which is that we, the people, have inalienable rights just for being human beings. You can say they come from God or from whoever, but one thing is for sure. They don't come from government. And this is a very important concept that may seem subtle on the surface, but it's, a, it's vital to protecting freedom. Freedom doesn't come from government. Your rights don't come from government. And government doesn't exist to provide you with things and then call those things rights. You hear this all the time this day and age. Education is a human right. Healthcare is a right. And therefore, the government needs to provide it. Now, there is so much wrong with that statement that I could do an entire podcast on it. And I probably will someday. But what I want to focus on here is the idea that your rights, your freedoms, are subject to government review. What we did here in America was very radical at the time, okay? What we said was, we said, look, we are not subjects to a monarchy, as just about every other civilization in existence at the time believed. Our lives do not belong to the government. We are free and equal people. And if you read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, all of our founding documents, and you look at the language that is used, it's obvious the role government was supposed to play in our lives was one of ensuring our rights and freedoms that we had before the government was created, that we possessed naturally, were not infringed upon by others. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, I mean, there are indications of this all over our founding documents. That's just one example. I mean, look at the, read the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. The implication being that we already have freedom of speech and the government cannot take that away from us. It doesn't say Congress declares that every American has freedom of speech. No, 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 no. We already have that freedom, and government cannot take it away from us. That's what they were saying. That's our foundation. Now, I, of course, would argue that this concept has been completely lost over the last couple of generations, and the federal government has perverted the meaning of the Constitution to make it seem like it means the exact opposite of what it says, and that this will always be a common theme of the podcast. And one of the reasons why I felt such a need to start the show is to try and correct the course that we're on to inoculate you from all this propaganda you're constantly bombarded with from preschool on. But what's going on in China with this social credit score nonsense is the opposite of that. The, it's the idea that the government controls you. They have the right to tell you where you can go, what you can do, and who you can do it with. You don't have any natural rights. You aren't free to pursue happiness. Your rights are granted to you from your almighty government. Your life isn't your own. 
it belongs to the crown, you are subjects. And if you don't do what they want you to do with your life, if you step out of line, if you go against the regime, they will take those rights away from you. After all, they granted them to you, they can take them away. That's the way they look at it. You are only as free as your government decides to let you be. And this is why they're rioting to this day in Hong Kong. They have been fighting for their freedom over there from the threat of being subject to the whims of the Chinese government for months now, with no end in sight. You see, they've gotten a taste. They've gotten a taste of authoritarian regimes, and they've felt it firsthand. They have seen how the government takes advantage using technology and takes that technology and uses it against them to keep them locked in chains. And if you don't think this is coming to America, not only are you sadly mistaken, but it's basically already here. And the really scary part about this whole thing is that the government has enlisted private companies to do their bidding. That, that's the form that it seems to be taking in the United States. We have um, Silicon Valley tech companies developing um, these social credit score systems that are very similar to the social credit score type systems we see in China, except that it works in reverse. Okay, Instead of the government collecting your data and sharing it with technology companies, it's the other way around. The technology companies will be the ones gathering your data. You will give it to them voluntarily. And then the government will enlist the help of these companies, either through force, through excessive regulation and compliance. They can make the existence of your company contingent upon you providing them with the intel that they want. They can use their ridiculous FISA courts that rubber stamp like 98% of the requests before them to procure your data. Or the government can just buy it. They can buy your data from these companies, which is really what, what they've been doing all along. And, and the most messed up part about that is they're buying it with your money. Think about that. Think about how ridiculous that is. They steal from you through taxation, and then they take that stolen money and buy information from private companies, and then they turn around and use that information that they bought with money they stole from you to take away even more of your freedoms and even more of your liberties. And they can use it in any number of ways against you. The sky is the limit. They will, they will push this and abuse it as much as we allow them to. It looks like China may have figured out what the limit may be. We'll have to see how things play out in Hong Kong. But then again, who knows? Who knows how far they can take this? I mean, look at North Korea. There, there's a pretty high threshold, apparently, for what people will put up with before revolting, especially if it's done gradually over time like the frog in the pot of water that you gradually heat up. It's going to stay in there a lot longer than it normally would had you just dropped it into a, a really hot water in the first place. And it's all based on public support. So the more people the government can get behind their initiatives, the more freedoms they are able to confiscate. All they have to do is have an effective propaganda campaign to try to sway public opinion in their favor and they will continue to do that until every last one of your liberties is gone. Why do you think they want to have control over the schools and education and early childhood education? And they keep advocating for younger and younger starting ages. How many levels are there now before preschool? There's like three different things, like pre, pre, pre-K. It's so that they can get the youth while they're at their most naive and impressionable stage in life and they can start chipping away at the foundational beliefs that I laid out at the top of the show. But with how involved we've allowed the government to become in our lives, this data that they'll be collecting can just be absolutely devastating. They can use it to lay and collect more taxes from you. Maybe you have to pay more taxes if your score is too low. I could easily see some section of our tax returns having a social credit score aspect to it. 
That doesn't seem far-fetched to me. I mean, anything that is currently under state control would be the low-hanging fruit for them, right? They can limit your travel out of state. Uh, so you can't board, they can make it so you can't board an airplane, you can't get a driver's license, you can't drive on their roads, your precious roads that everybody loves so much. They can do stuff to your kids in government schools. It, the, the list goes on and on. But then when you take into account all the rules and regulations and compliance they enforce on companies already, they can make it so you can't open up a bank account. They can tell the banks, and thanks to our government, there are only like five major banks, they can tell them that they are in violation of the Patriot Act and anti-money laundering provisions and Dodd-Frank and all that stuff if, say, they allow someone to open an account with a social credit score below 80%. They're already doing this to some extent, not using social credit scores, but if you have like cryptocurrencies, for instance... They'll make it illegal for banks to transact with you, and they'll cite the anti-money laundering provisions of the Patriot Act. Or if you own a medical marijuana dispensary, uh, th that's how they cut those guys off at the knees. Sure, you can open up your dispensary. It may be legal at the state level, but good luck getting a bank account. Good luck doing any banking. Bank of America will have to pay a billion-dollar fine if they take you on as a customer. Or maybe we'll, we'll go after them for money laundering and, and, and crossing state lines and sending money across state lines. That's why this power is so dangerous. I, I, it reminds me of one of Peter Schiff's companies, Euro-Pacific Bank, and he talks about this all the time. For those of you not familiar with Peter Schiff, he's widely regarded as one of the few sane voices that was out there predicting the 2008 financial collapse. He's a broker-dealer. He sells precious metals. He used to do, uh, be on a lot of those financial commentary shows. He's an Austrian school economist of sorts, I guess you could say. But he used to talk about this all the time back when he had this radio show, and he still does a podcast, and you can listen to him if you want. How there's so much extra regulatory compliance costs that the U.S. government makes him go through that for some of his banks, he, op he opens them up abroad. And if you're a U.S. citizen, he will not let you bank there. Well, he, he, he really can't because he hasn't. He, would be, um, he wouldn't be in compliance. But he's decided that it's not worth it to have U.S. customers for, the, for, the, for that part of his business because of all the regulatory and compliance costs. And so if you're an American and you want to open an account at Euro-Pacific Bank, it, you know, tough, tough shit, I guess. You see, it's all related. It's all intertwined. We have created a system where we have the biggest, most powerful government the world has ever seen. It spends more money than any other country. It spies on all its citizens more than any other country and is so involved in every aspect of our lives that you can't separate public from private anymore. They've engineered a legal system that makes it illegal for companies to operate without the anointing of the federal government. And when they wield that kind of power, companies basically have two choices. You can take a moral stand, try to fight the government, and, and probably go out of business knowing full well that your competitor will not have those same reservations and they will get into bed with the government. Or you can go along to get along, follow the government's rules, and try and operate within the framework that they've created. Maybe you know throw your local congressman a few bucks to try to curry some favor. And that's when you get the crony capitalism. Uh, the government incentivizing companies to get in bed with their gigantic federal leviathan. Because as I said, it's a competitive market. And if you aren't going to try and buy influence from the government to get that edge, you know that your competitor will. And then they will use that against you, drive you out of business. And then once you're in bed with the government, the government will do to you what people do when they go to bed with each other. Okay, they will bang the bejesus out of you. They will find more and more ways to control your business, where you can operate, how you can operate, who you can operate with. They will basically assume control of the information, pass more and more laws, and now that you now that they have you by the balls, they can force your hand. 
then of course, more government regulation and compliance inhibits economic growth, inhibits new company creation and competition because startups and small companies, they don't have the economies of scale that larger companies, larger corporations do, and they can't absorb all these extra costs. This in turn fosters an environment where only a handful of big companies can survive. You see how this is all connected? You see how this works? And then Elizabeth Warren will come out, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, that they'll trot out on stage and blame unfettered capitalism, run amok for the fact that we have all these big banks and huge corporations. The banking industry is a perfect example. Look what happened leading up to 2008 and the government response to it. I, I don't have time to go into too much detail, you, if you want, you could read Peter Schiff's books on that. He, he's done some great work on it. But the long story short, the government intervenes in the housing and banking industries, incentivizing risky lending practices. Those mistakes are compounded when the risky mortgages are bought and sold in the secondary market on Wall Street, and more importantly by Fannie and Freddie, who were the single largest, uh, biggest buyers of subprime loans. They created the market for it. And when that all blows up in their face, and, and it would have brought the entire financial system down, not only do they bail out all the banks and the Wall Street firms that should have gone out of business, but they pass legislation like Dodd-Frank that guarantees the banks that were already too big to fail become even bigger and more likely to fail. It's guaranteed because the banks getting bailed out are the ones who wrote the legislation. That's how Congress does this. That's what they do. They want to pass some financial regula regulation. They bring in the Wall Street fat cats and ask them if they will help them craft the legislation. And then, of course, what do those guys do? Obviously, they craft legislation in a way that gives them an edge over their competition. I mean, why wouldn't they? They'd be, they'd be idiots to not do that. So they, they give them an edge over potential startups, and they get even bigger and bigger. You saw the same thing with Facebook when Congress brought in Zuckerberg and made him testify in front of Congress, and they asked him if he'd be willing to help them craft the legislation for social media platforms. Of course, obviously he would. And it's why the insurance companies were on board with Obamacare because they got to write Obamacare. It's why auto companies are on board with all these emission standards, uh, increasing emission standards and increasing the cost of building a car because they know that they have the influence in Washington to craft the legislation the way they want it. And even if they don't, even if they don't, they have the infrastructure in place that they have the economy of scale to absorb the extra costs. This is all a function of government being too big and too involved, doing things that should never have been in the purview of our government. And then predictably, after they screw everything up, you know, Bernie Sanders comes out there talking about how we need to break up the big banks and break up the big tech firms. Listen, the market would have done that in 2008 if you had let them fail. But no, no, you had to bail them out. And the market would have done it in a much fairer, more equitable way. The, the ones who made bad investments, the ones that bet wrong on certain sectors of the economy, that were not good stewards of your savings, that engaged in reckless monetary practices, they would have gone under. Okay. And then those that didn't, those that made prudent decisions with your savings, they would have been in a, in a position to take over a larger share of, this, of that sector of the economy. They could have bought up the, the failed banks' assets at pennies on the dollar, and we'd have more of the better banks and less of the bad banks. We would have seen those big banks and financial institutions shattered into hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller banks if you had let the market work. The government is just going to come in and arbitrarily decide 
what size you should be or what practices you should engage in and break you up for the sake of breaking you up or just because you're a bank, they come after you. It's ridiculous. Or worse, they'll let the Jamie Diamonds of the world, you know, they'll let JP Morgan and the financial industry decide what should be a qualifying factor. Uh, I mean, this is absolute insanity. But by bailing out those larger banks, the ones who had a major hand in bringing the world to the brink of economic collapse and then using them to craft legislation that will no doubt benefit their companies at the expense of their competitors, you drive the smart, successful, prudent banks that didn't engage in that reckless behavior and that would be a benefit to the overall economy right out of business. And you ensure that no more of them can even come into existence, or at least, at the very least, you make it much, much harder for them to do so. Because they don't have the billions of dollars to spare for compliance, with all, to comply with all the bullshit rules and regulations that the bigger banks, who have the infrastructure in place, who have the economy of scale tipped in their favor, who can absorb those costs, lobby the government to put into place. And on top of all of that, all of those problems I just laid out, on top of all of that, now we have to grapple with this idea of woke capitalism. Woke capitalism, for any of you out there not familiar with the term, refers to these companies, particularly social media companies right now, but not only those. We've seen payment platforms like PayPal, um, we've seen banks, companies like YouTube, deplatforming people that they deemed extreme or that they disagree with politically. And this, I've got to say, this more so than anything else right now, really terrifies me. You know, because they're not even, this is absent government intervention. They're doing this on their own. They're taking it upon themselves to use essentially libertarian means uh, of protest which is to boycott and they're boycotting their own customers because they they don't like their their views on a certain subject we saw what happened with alex jones he was sort of like the trial balloon for all this stuff where essentially all the major platforms youtube itunes twitter uh, facebook paypal they all colluded and essentially deplatformed him overnight Overnight, just like that, he, he was done. He, he was no longer uh, allowed to speak to people. Um, we've seen companies like Salesforce come out a while back, it was maybe a month or two ago, and, and said that they won't do business with gun manufacturers. Citigroup came out and said companies that sell automatic rifles can't use their credit card services. This is already happening. Okay, It's happening right now. I've seen reports of various conservative voices being um, having their bank accounts closed by places like Chase Bank. So it's it's not a very big leap to imagine a world where all of these big corporations and all of these big banks get together and decide that they won't do business with you because they don't like one of your political views or you own firearms or you have a libertarian podcast or whatever the case may be. And I mean, how hard would it be for all the banks to get together and refuse service to you? There's only a handful of them, right? I mean, how many are there? Four or five big banks, thanks to the government? And now they can take the, that social credit score and use it as a justification for deplatforming you, for refusing to do business with you, and for ruining you overnight. This should scare the living daylight out of every one of us, just as Americans. I think there is a tendency among libertarians to sort of write this off as a threat. Now, eh, whatever. You don't like it? Go start your own Twitter. Go start your own YouTube. They're private companies. They can do whatever the hell they want. It's like, well, okay, that's true. But I don't think it's as simple as that. I, I think there's a lot more to it. I mean, yeah, sure, it'd be great. It'd be great if someone else would come along and fill that void in the market and, and in a truly free market, one that was open to uninhibited competition, somebody undoubtedly would. 
I have no doubt that somebody would step in and offer banking services to obnoxious libertarian podcasters. But we don't live in that world. We're not even close. We live in a world dominated by the biggest, most powerful government the world has ever seen. They have their tentacles into everything. So it's not just as simple as as I just spent the first 40 minutes of this show laying out. It's not as simple as just saying, go start your own company. They've made that next to impossible through their legislation and their control. You, You think you can just put up a sign and start your own bank tomorrow? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It would take months and billions of dollars and going down to city hall and getting permits and all this paperwork. Who's going to undertake all of that in this environment and then risk it all by offering to do business with people the government has deemed deplorables? So this is something that libertarians need to grapple with, I think, because none of this is taking place in a vacuum. Uh, We don't live in a world where free and open markets are really at play. We, We can't just write this off. We have to find a way to completely reverse the course that we're on because the direction we're headed is not toward freer and more open markets. We're going the opposite direction. We're going toward more authoritarian government control of everything, the economy included. And everybody's thinking this way. Anytime there's a problem in society, no matter if you're on the left or the right, it's always, well, government should do something. There should be a law. Government should do this. Government should do that. You hear this on the right, the alt-right, that's their solution to things. And you certainly hear it from the left. And it's not just libertarians or fringe people who should be worried about this. It's everybody. Even if you find yourself in the majority right now and you think it will never be used against me and all the lemmings, well, think again. Why were all the liberals freaking out when Donald Trump was elected? Because all of a sudden, all this power that they've been turning over to the government year over year fell into the wrong hands as they saw it, right? And now it can be used against them. They lost control. So if you share this concern, or even if you don't, you still don't want to only have a few companies or a handful of platforms offering services to people. For one thing, a greater competition offers more choices, more opportunities, and it brings prices down. So you're better off. And I know one of the major complaints about so-called capitalism is it fosters these giant corporations that wield too much power. There's no question, in my mind, there's no question companies like Google or banks like J.P. Morgan have an ungodly amount of power right now. But you can't deny the fact that one of the reasons they've obtained so much power is because they've gotten into bed with the government, because they have this incestuous relationship. And the solution to that is not to give the government the ultimate monopoly, even more power and control. This is what the everybody on the left thinks, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warrens. Well, we need to give government more control so that they'll break up these big companies. No. No, that's what got us here in the first place. The only solution is to decentralize things as much as possible, unleash the markets to allow for truly unfettered competition where these few big companies that have the ear of the federal government can't tip the scales in their favor. And I guess to bring it back to the whole woke capitalism thing, you might be able to get a handful of huge banks or a few of the social media platforms to be woke capitalists. But how are you going to get thousands, thousands of them? If if there are no big banks and thousands of smaller banks, how are you going to get them all on board with your agenda all at the same time? You won't be able to do that through some ideological campaign. The only way to do that would be from having an all-powerful government dictating to them who they can and can't do business with. So I think we really need to start rolling back government a little bit and moving toward freer markets. It's our really our only salvation. And the governments want 
to have only a few big banks. They only want five big banks and a couple of corporations. It's easier for them to control. And that's the system that they're going to naturally steer us towards. Like for a fact, as I laid out earlier in the show, we know that there would be more banks today than there are right now had it not been for government involvement. There, there were several mergers that took place in the wake of all that banking legislation they passed. They have created this environment where woke capitalism can flourish and individuals, so-called radicals, free thinkers will perish. And this is the incestuous relationship between companies and government that should really scare all of us. I know it bothers people on all sides of the political spectrum. The Democrats harp on large corporations all the time. See, even they, even you know Bernie Sanders can sense that there is something wrong. It's just that his solution is more of what created the problem in the first place. More government control over the economy. More government involvement. More of the government deciding which companies get to stay in business. And as long as we have the world's largest, most powerful government that gets to spend $4.5 trillion every year, there will be companies lobbying for that influence, whether you break them up or not. It will only lead to more and more consolidation and more power in the hands of the few. And on top of all that, these companies have already proven that they are a bunch of cowards and that they aren't actually woke at all that they're just pretending. They pretend to be woke, just like all the other people who claim that they're woke. They're not woke at all. They pretend to be woke on things that will score them, that they think will score them points, on things that are popular amongst the majority of the population. Sure, you know, they'll take a stance against gun violence and Alex Jones. There's no risk to them there. It's all upside. They get some cheap virtue signaling points, You know, look at the NBA and what's been going on with that, with China and the Hong Kong protests. You know, all these woke NBA players and woke coaches and executives who all claim to be so woke, they're so hip and with it. LeBron James, Steve Kerr, who never misses an opportunity to criticize Donald Trump publicly, as if that takes any guts whatsoever. It's it's like being against racism in 2019 or against slavery. It takes no sacrifice. There's nothing brave about coming out in 2019 and being anti-Trump, okay? You'll have the support of the entire corporate press, the entire political establishment, the education establishment, all of Hollywood and entertainment. Oh, yeah, you're real social justice warriors. You're so stunning and brave, taking a position that 95% of the people agree with you on, where you risk nothing. You sacrifice nothing. Nothing bad will happen to you if you come out and you profess your hatred of racism and Donald Trump or slavery or whatever. And Nike and Colin Kaepernick and their entire campaign, you'll believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And all the attention that got, apparently it's, it's believe in something Unless, of course, it upsets China. <laughs> then, of course, we're going to abandon our principles, abandon the kowtow, because China has a couple billion people in it, and for whatever reason, Asians love basketball. I don't know exactly why that is, other than the fact that they make all of the shoes that basketball players wear, but they love basketball almost as much as they love gambling. So there's a big market over there, right? A huge market for the NBA, billions of dollars, I'm sure. And what happens to all these woke social justice warriors when the Houston Rockets, um, was it the general manager, I think, he comes out and tweets something pro-Hong Kong, which, by the way, every American should be pro-Hong Kong protests and anti-Chinese authoritarianism. But what happened to the woke NBA and these tough woke guys like LeBron James and Steve Kerr and Steph Curry? Did they take a stand when it meant actual sacrifice? Were they woke when they had to put their money on the line? Where they had to take some pain in order to stand up for what they believe in? What happened was they bent over like a bunch of little bitches to China, to a foreign dictator. They bent a knee and started licking boots. 
the NBA has been kicking people out of their games for having pro-Hong Kong signs and chanting pro-Hong Kong things. They said that their players and coaches can't take questions related to Hong Kong. ESPN is giving directives that nobody can talk about the whole China thing. And and then, you know, Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, all of a sudden, the cat's got their tongue. They won't speak out against any of the Chinese injustices. Oh, no, no, no. Only Donald Trump will only take stances that don't hurt us financially. And ironically, China is actually guilty of all the things that they accuse Trump of doing, and far worse. Like, oh, yeah, Trump's a dictator. Trump's a dictator. He's an evil dictator. Well, what do you think's going on in China? You, you think what's, what's going on at, at, at our border, at our southern border, separating children from their families? You have any idea what's going on in China? The human rights violations going on over there? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I stopped watching the NBA years ago because they pissed me off. This is just another reason to boycott them. They aren't even kowtowing to our own federal government. At least not yet. God only knows, once they see how big of a pussy, how big of pussies they are, I can only imagine what our government's going to try to pull. But they're kowtowing to a foreign dictator because it's convenient for them? Because it costs them some profits? So much for being woke. So much for your wokeness. But here's the real scary thing, and the, and the point of this entire episode. If the NBA and Nike and whatever other U.S. companies don't have the guts, don't have the testicular fortitude to stand up to a foreign government thousands of miles away, if they'll start removing their jerseys from Chinese stores because the Chinese government asks them to, if companies like Google will bend over for them and hide certain searches from you and create an internet for the Chinese people that only has the sites and content that the Chinese government deems acceptable, what do you think will happen when all of this authoritarian stuff, the social credit scores, washes up on our shores? What do you think these woke brave, stunningly brave hero companies will do when our government, the world's most powerful government, the most militarized government, comes knocking on their doors and demands that they implement policy X, Y, and Z. This is a very real threat. This is happening now on a small scale, and it's getting support from way too many people. Far too many of you are complicit in this. Far too many still are apathetic or worse, supportive because you, you don't care for the current victims. Oh, you know, well, Alex Jones, he deserves to be silenced. Didn't you hear what he said? He's dangerous. Government needs to step in and monitor these sorts of things. There has to be some level of control, right, as to what we can say. It's dangerous to have people just saying things. Well, well where's the real danger? I mean, really? Is freedom the real danger here, or is it an all-powerful government, militarized, armed to the teeth, willing and capable of throwing you in a cage for the rest of your life? Is the danger recognizing that we have inalienable rights as human beings and that we can exercise those rights as long as we do not harm other people and protecting those rights from constant government infringement? Or is the danger in forgetting our founding principles or never really understanding them in the first place, and allowing the government to take our rights and our liberties, take them away from us, and dole them out on a case-by-case basis like it's one of their welfare programs. Like they have sole authority over our rights and our freedoms and can take them away as they see fit. You don't have to look back through too much history to see how that turns out. You don't even have to look through history at all. All you have to do is watch what's happening over in Hong Kong as those people fight their government to take back some of the freedoms that they've had stolen from them. Guys, if you like the show today, I need you to do a couple things for me. The first of which is to keep doing what you're doing, continuing to listen, continuing to download and subscribe. I do need you to share the show and help spread the word. I always ask that you share the show with at least two people. I mean, how hard is that, right? You're being selfish, keeping me and all my wonderful thoughts to yourselves. So let others know that I'm out here and that I have a few things to say that they need to hear. The next thing is I need you to take a minute when you have some free time 
and give me a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. And lastly, if you want to go above and beyond the call of duty, you can become a supporting listener of the show by going to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com, and choosing any number of ways to donate. You can do a one-time donation or set up a monthly payment in pretty much any denomination you can imagine, even if it's a dollar, a dollar a month. Every dollar you donate goes right back into the show. I don't pocket any of it. I use it to grow the show and increase our reach and create more content. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back in a few days with another episode for you. Until then, just remember to stay woke and keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.